2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's real easy to find. It's right before Galatians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tonight. Thank you for coming on a Monday night. You could be home watching Monday night football, and here you are in church. You get extra stars in your crown. But since the Chicago Bears are not playing, it really doesn't matter. And I want to correct something. Brother Nathaniel, on that video, uh, you say the big thing in, in uh, Brazil is soccer. Uh, it's not a sport. People running around in shorts kicking a ball. That's not a sport. I'm sorry, that's not. I, it's an activity. It's maybe a hobby or something like that, but it's not a sport. No, that's... The worst thing that happened to the boys, they get grass stains on their socks. That's about it. I, and then they got the nerve to call it football all over the world. That's not football either. That's a, that's a bunch of overpaid people running around. They're the biggest bunch of crybabies I ever saw in my life. But you have to admit, they're very good athletes. Only a person with a tremendous physical ability could run around for two and a half hours and get excited about one point. I mean, think about it. That, so you may want to change that in your video and call it, they like to watch soccer, that's not really a sport. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number three. You know, that's, not, that's no trouble here in North Carolina. You ought to try that somewhere where, that sport, where soccer is big, especially out in California. We got all our, our different nationalities out there. They, they look at me like they're gut shot, but I'm into truth. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse three, if you find that and are able, would you stand with me tonight? But thank you so much for coming this evening. Now we're going to get we're going to get pretty serious these next few nights and talk about direct more specifically to talk about missions. In fact, tonight I want to talk to you about a missions program that most of us are probably not aware of. It's not the one from the Bible. I'm going to talk to you about a missions program tonight that is highly effective. It has reached the four corners of this earth. This missions program tonight is backed by trillions of dollars. Everywhere you go, you'll see its impact and its effect everywhere. I have had the privilege to preach on six of the seven continents on this earth. And I see it everywhere I go. The jungles of Africa, the mountains over in the in Europe, in Russia, the steaming uh, millions in the Philippines or in Hong Kong or uh, in Europe. Everywhere I've gone, I've seen this missions program. It's effective. I'm not exalting it tonight. I'm pointing it out to you. I want you to understand something, dear people. Listen to me tonight. This mo motion, uh, missions program is backed by a powerful being. And he puts his 24-hour, seven-day-a-week effort into this program, and he has millions who help him with his work. I'm going to talk to you tonight about Satan's program for world missions. You understand the devil has a counterfeit for everything that God has. Everything. God's people must be aware of the counterfeit. In the uh, 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 um, Treasury Department, they teach people how to to figure out a counterfeit bill. And the way they teach them that is they teach them the exact detail of a genuine bill, American dollar bill or tin or whatever. Once they master what a real thing looks like, they know what a counterfeit looks like. Charles Spurgeon said, in order to show how crooked a stick is, you lay a straight one next to it. Yeah. And this, this missions program the devil has tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it is effective. I'm not exalting it. I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying we need to get involved in it. I'm simply telling you he has a program and he does not rest. He does not sit on his laurels. He is powerful. He is determined. It reaches the four corners of this earth. We were driving through Kenya and Africa out in the bush. I mean, there was nobody and nothing out there but herds of animals and zebras and giraffes and and uh, elephants and all sorts of things. And we crossed the stream, had crocodiles in it, uh, in a Jeep-looking vehicle. And as we crossed that, that stream, we got to the other side, and there was Satan's missions program right there on the other side. He is everywhere putting his best effort into this. 
He will not rest. He will not give up. He is determined at what he does. Now, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to show you this program, and then we're going to tell you how it's going to be defeated. Father, bless tonight, I pray. Help us this evening, now I ask in Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, church, you agree that ser serpent is the devil, yes? And you understand that he deceived two perfect people in a perfect place. Sin was created in a perfect place. The first one was in heaven next to God. The second one was on this earth with two people who had never sinned before, were convinced, not talked into it, not forced to, were convinced by the devil to break a simple one rule God had given them. And his, his subtlety enabled that to take place. Then if you'll notice verse uh, number four, please, tonight, you'll see what his program is. For he, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. Now that word another is going to be used three times in this verse. And the word another means another of a similar but actually different kind. But if he preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, ye might, we might well bear with him. Those three items tonight are Satan's missions program. Father, bless again tonight, please, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. That's Satan's subtlety. That's his program. That's what he desires to present. Notice it. You say, oh no, he wants to present drugs and alcohol and immorality and perversion and ungodliness and wickedness. Be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, that's a subtle part of his program. That's an overt part of his program. That's something he puts out before the world today. But Satan's missions program is to present another Jesus. To present another spirit. And if you'll notice in your King James Bible, that word spirit is a lowercase s, not a capital S. He doesn't present another Holy Spirit. He presents another spirit. He presents a different way of thinking, a different philosophy, a different mindset. And then the Bible says he also in his missions program wants to present another gospel. Gospel means good news. He wants to present something else that's a good news to this world today. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't take much. It's right here in Roanoke Rapids. It's right here in Weldon. It's right here in this area. It's right here in Littleton. It's right here where you live. It's where I live. It's California. It's North Carolina. It's the United States of America. I see it in Canada. I see it in Mexico. I've seen it in South America. I've seen it all over this world. And the Satan's program of another type of missions is reaching the four corners of this earth. Would you notice his plan tonight to send out into this world another Jesus? You know, it's interesting to find that almost all religions, Christian or non-Christian, embrace and teach something about Jesus. Islam believes Jesus was a great prophet. Islam links Jesus and Moses together and considers the two of them to be great men, great prophets, and great leaders. Hinduism, the religion that embraces 330 million gods, also embraces Jesus Christ as a great teacher. Buddhism considers him equal to Buddha almost in his teaching and his words and what he says. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, Satan has sent out across this world religions of all kinds, Christian or non-Christian, who will embrace Jesus, talk about Jesus, say something about Jesus, give, rep give some type of reputation to Jesus, give some type of honor to Jesus. Right. Oh, and then you've got that other Jesus the devil presents. It's the politically correct Jesus. Yeah. Not virgin born, but born of good heritage. Not sinless in his life, but a good man who did good things. Yeah. That politically correct Jesus, not the son of God, not the God, not God in human flesh. Not the Savior of this world because we don't need a Savior because that makes us sinners. So he's just a good man who was taken by a mob and crucified and some say rose from the dead, but that's the politically correct Jesus. He's a non-offensive Jesus. He's not the Jesus that went to the temple and cleared it out. He's not the Jesus and preached on hell, preached on uh, 14 sermons on life after death and 13 of them were about hell with fire and burning and torment and suffering. That not, that's not the Jesus. You hear people say, well, my Jesus wouldn't be like 
like that. My Jesus would not do that. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't make him. He made us. And this world is presenting today through missions program another Jesus. They've taken away from him his deity. They've taken away from him his sonship, that he's the son of God. They've taken away from him his vicarious death that he died on the cross to give us the only hope of salvation. Because they'll say, well, now, wait a minute. If you're saying Jesus is the only way of salvation, then what about the Jews? What about Muslims? What about Buddhists? What about Hindus? What about atheists? What about people who have no religion whatsoever? My God would not exclude them like the way you're saying it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the answer to that statement is very simple. God doesn't exclude people. God tells them there's one way of salvation. They exclude themselves because they won't take it. If there's a fire in this room and every door in this place is blocked and there's one way to get out and you choose to not take it, you've just condemned yourself because you won't take the door God has given you. And John chapter 10, Jesus is the door out to the fold. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, these dear people who are going to the mission field or the Dekus who are there in Fiji, those missionaries who are out there right now, they're, you understand, they're standing up and declaring Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation. We were in India several years ago, and we were told by the Indian pastor that we were with about how the Hindu religion has 330 million gods in it. And he said, now listen, you cannot tell people, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? Just blatant statement. Because they will, because to them it's just adding another deity to their list. And they'll be very kind. I witnessed to Hindus on airplanes before. I sat next to a Hindu shaman on an airplane one day, four and a half, five hour flight. And I, I asked him about his religion. I said, well, so you're a shaman. That means a guy is a priest or a teacher of their faith. And, and I said, tell me something about your religion. And he began to explain it. Oh, my soul. He went on for an <laughs> hour and a half with an explanation I don't think he understood. Because I was listening. It was just circular. And it was all kinds of stuff. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, sir. I said, Do you, you believe in reincarnation. Is that right? He said, oh, yes. And I said, so you believe that um, a person dies and comes back. And that could happen many times. He goes, there are people who have had hundreds of lives. I said, interesting. Can I ask you a question? How come society's not getting any better? If we got these people who lived a hundred times and they come back, somebody had to figure it out by now. I said, look, but what happens to most of us, we get to about 60 and then we start forgetting everything. So here's a guy who's had a hundred lives. I mean, shouldn't it, shouldn't it make sense that our society would be better? And I said, sir, do you think our society is getting better? He goes, oh, no. I said, well, then obviously it can't be so because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. And he goes, oh, no, no, I forgot to tell you. After so many lifetimes, once they attain to perfection, they don't come back anymore. I said, oh, so they're selfish. <laughs> they get theirs and move on. And the guy just kind of looked at me and went, huh. My favorite part was there was a black lady sitting behind me. And she started entering in while I was talking with this man. I gave him an hour and a half to talk, and then I said, now, I've listened to you very carefully. Please listen to me. And I started giving him the gospel and telling him how to be saved. And this black lady behind me was going, uh-huh. Uh, that's right, preacher. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Then she started praying out loud, Lord, help him. He's helping this man. Lord, help him right now. Help this man. That loud. I'm sitting, having to have a middle seat, and this guy's sitting next to me. And this poor businessman was sitting next to me, kind of trying not to pay attention, I thought, anyway. And I kept witnessing and trying to give him, give him the gospel and explain salvation to him. I said, well, you see, even common sense tells you there's no re reincarnation. There can't be. And the Bible says, so. well, he said, but, you know, that's the thing about your belief and my belief. We all have different roles, but we're all getting to the same place. I said, you have a no-lose religion, sir. No matter what you believe, we're all okay. What I'm telling you according to the Bible is this. There is heaven and there is hell. And Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and rejecting him is the way to hell. And that is, that is a lose religion. 
but you can gain if you'll trust Christ. And this black lady, mm, that's good, preacher. You go ahead now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she, she helped me through the whole thing. After a minute, the Hindu guy had to go to the bathroom. I think I know why. But he had to go to the bathroom. He got out. I turned to the businessman. I said, sir, I, this was like two and a half hours into the flight. We've been going back and forth. Not arguing, just he listened. He talked, I talked. And the businessman, I said, I'm sorry, sir, if this has been kind of bothering you or something. He goes, you kidding me? This is the most interesting flight I've been on in 10 years. <laughs> he said, you talking to that guy and that lady back there? He said, this has been really good. It's better to move it. Another Jesus. Look here, people. Another Jesus. Christian, don't you ever get the attitude or the idea that somehow or another Jesus is just another Muhammad. He's just another Buddha. He's just another deity. He's just another prophet. He's just another man. He's just another leader. He's just somebody else. No, Jesus Christ is like no other. Jesus did die on the cross and Jesus went to the grave. But after three days and three nights, Jesus stepped out of that tomb and to a category on his own. You can go over there in Saudi Arabia and there lays Muhammad's body like a piece of beef jerky wrapped in a diaper, laying on a table. And you know what? He's dead, ladies and gentlemen. His body's dead. You want to know what? You can go find Buddha's ashes and there's ashes are. He's dead, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you, he's dead. But I'll tell you one thing. I've been to that empty tomb in outside of Jerusalem. And he ain't dead. Jesus is alive. And Satan desires for us to just have the attitude of, well, I don't want to be offensive. And we don't. And I didn't argue with that dear Hindu man. I did not. He came back and sat down. I said, now, sir, if we can pick up where we left off, please understand something. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. And this is God's word. And it, it tells you that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. And what you believe means when you die, we're all okay. What I'm telling you, God says we're not until we trust Christ. But you know, God put a preacher next to you to tell you that God loves you. And Christ died for you. Would you not, sir, please trust Christ as your personal Savior? See, I'm afraid we're, we're ashamed of the offense of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's as wicked as what the devil does to try to replace him. We go to work and we have our lunch and we go to pray and we sit on everyone to bless you. You know, that's our kind of stuff. But Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. This world needs to know who the real Jesus Christ is. But they need to know Jesus from the Bible, not Jesus from philosophy, not Jesus from history, not Jesus from someone's program, not Jesus from my thinking, not Jesus from what you think, not Jesus from some college. They need to know Jesus Christ from the Word of God. And we need to present him as such. You say, yeah, but pastor, what, 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 how will people receive that? Some will believe and some will not. Some will say later and some will say now. Some will say another day and some will say this day. I don't know. I can't answer for a man's response. I can know this and I can tell you this. There's something about just presenting Jesus Christ to people. When we were in Egypt in, in, uh, um, in the city of uh, uh, Cairo, I listened to people who were raised in Islam give their testimony about how they came to Christ. And they were told, if you ever converted, left Islam, that their families would kill them. At the very least, completely disowned them. So to become a Christian, you imagine you give up everything. By the way, in India, among the Hindus, it's the same thing. They, they become Christians. Most of them have to live inside that little church building. And, and we sat on, on just bare concrete floors, and they rolled out a mat. You sat on that night, they'd roll out that same mat and lay there and sleep on that mat. They would be forsaken by their own families. And I was listening to these people converted out of Islam and trusted Christ and got saved. Do you know what was the thing that saw every one of them? Every testimony I heard, and I heard a several, almost a dozen. Do you know what was the thing that converted them, saw them give up Islam, trust Christ and get saved? It was the love of God. I, was, I sat there and I just began to weep. They said, Allah never tells us, told us that he loved us. Our religion never gave us any hope of the love of our deity. But when someone told me, God loved me, 
and that his love was such that he sent Jesus to die for me on the cross. I awakened to my need of salvation and I trusted Christ and I got saved. Oh, don't you understand, ladies and gentlemen, how important it is for you and I and our lives right here in this city where we live and our day-to-day lives and what we do to present Jesus Christ as the hope and the way of salvation to people. He presents another Jesus. All religions accept him and present their version of Jesus. We're not going to argue with, I never argue with people about Christ. I never argue with people about the Bible. First of all, don't get in a kicking contest with a donkey. Secondly, (laughs) arguing with people, debating people. You don't argue folks into Christ. You present Christ, they either accept him or reject him. When I was in Bible college, a young man I was working with was attending a secular college in the area, and when he knew I was going to be a preacher, a pastor, and going to Bible college. He said, hey, I'm taking this apologetics course, and we're learning about all these religions in the world. He said, my teacher is going to have someone from Islam, someone from the Hindu religion, an atheist, and then someone who represents Christianity to come and speak. He said, would you be willing to do that? And I said, what do you mean, guys, by go and speak? He said, well, each of you will sit up there, and you'll present what you believe, and then we'll ask questions and that kind of stuff. I said, no, I can't do that. He said, well, don't you want to present what you believe? I said, absolutely. I said, but I will not sit on the same platform with those guys. Because, see, that makes it equal, what I believe equal to what they believe. He goes, oh, you think you're better? I said, no, I know I am. But I'm not better. I know Jesus is. And I'm not going to sit there with a bunch of folks, and and we're not going to debate what we believe. Now, if your teacher would like me to come and talk to them about what I believe, I would be glad to do that but I'm not going to sit there. That's why you don't debate with people. That's why you don't argue with people. Listen, folks, you don't argue people into salvation. You tell them about Jesus Christ and salvation, and you leave it with God and let them work in their hearts. He, Satan's program is to present another Jesus. Notice it says also in verse number four, please, that if you're presented another spirit, that word spirit is lowercase, and again, it means philosophy, okay? Philosophy. Way of thinking. This is where Satan presents his secular religions. Humanism, materialism, communism, and secularism. This is where he presents this idea that, well, the answer really isn't about God, it's about man. That's what humanism about is. Humanism is the belief that man is the answer. Bad news, man is the problem. I'm the problem, you're the problem, all God's children are the problem. And this idea that somehow or another, well, you know, you can just put your mind to it. Whatever you put your mind to, you can do. No, you can't. You can't get through that wall with your mind. You'll leave it on that wall right there. The truth is, you can't do Your mind won't help you jump off a 20-story building. It won't help you land. Humanism is the idea that man is the answer and all we need to do is exalt ourselves and think about ourselves and be who we are. And our, these, these self-help gurus telling people that's all you got to do is just believe that you can and if you just put your mind to it, you can. No, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Secularism is the idea that, that the solutions to problems are to leave God out of everything. That's a secular belief. Let's just get God out of all of it. Let's just leave him out of everything, and that'll resolve all these issues about religions and how they fuss with each other and what they do, and then we'll figure out what we're supposed to do. Really? How's it going? How's it going with kicking God out of our schools? How's it going with kicking God out of our society? How's it going with removing God from everything? How's it gone? Has it made us a better nation? Has it made us a more holy nation? Has it made us a safer nation? Has it caused us to sanctify life? And has it caused us to be more careful about what we do? No, secularism is a huge failure. But Satan still sells that one. He still sells communism. The idea of what's mine's mine and what's yours is mine and everybody else has got that's mine too. Got a whole bunch of candidates running for president. Nothing but a panty waist, bunch of panty waist communists. They're doing the chicken in the pot thing. I'm going to get you everything you want. I'm going to give you everything you want. They have no idea how they're going to pay for all this stuff. $640 trillion. Come on. Slap yourself and wake up. It's insane, the idea. But that comes from a, a watered-down version of communism called socialism. Socialism is communism that needs a hormone check. That's all that needs. 
And the idea is, I'm going to take everything from you to help me be what I want to be to give what I want to give it to everybody else. That's not God's program, ladies and gentlemen. But, but he sells it, and he's selling it pretty big a lot of the countries today around our world, especially the so-called highly developed nations, our socialistic nations, with income taxes over 60 and 70%. Then, of course, to me, the greatest religion he sells in the spirit of his missions program is the spirit of materialism. That is simply this. The more money you have, the better your life is going to be. The more stuff you have, the, more better, the better your life will be. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. You know the average Christian spends less than one penny a day on missions? See, whether we realize it or not, Satan's mission to materialism has been bought by a lot of Christians. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We spend more money in America, the United States of America, we spend more money on dog food than we do God's work. Dog food. You don't feed cats because you're not supposed to have those. I'm talking dog food now. <laughs> if you have a cat, forgive me. If you're a lady, you can have a cat. If you're a guy, you need a hormone check, bro. All right. That, that, I'm sorry. I told you I was going to be serious. I can't help myself. I just can't. I'm sorry. Made fun of soccer and now cats. And uh, all you got to do is not get to Fords and a few other things. And we're good to go. Anyway, the, the point is, but think about that for a moment. Dog food. Ladies and gentlemen, dog food. To feed a dog, we're more concerned with feeding our pets than we are with doing the work of God. You say, well, what's it got to do with materialism? Because we'd rather have a healthy dog than a healthy gospel, than a healthy church, than the healthy work of God. Yes. Satan's idea of materialism, he gets, <laughs> the world pumps trillions of, look, at how many more $1.8 billion football stadiums do we need to build in this country? For a bunch of guys to take an inflated pig bladder, kick it through a plumbing at the end of a cow pasture, and somebody go, ah, and that, how much more do we need this? How much? You say, don't you like football? Yes, but I think it's, it's like everything else. It's insane today. Yeah. So we got the Apple, in, in uh, another week or so, Apple 11 is coming out. The Apple 11 uh, 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 iPad. The Apple 11 phone. The Apple 11, all that other stuff. And it's only $1,100. The cheapest one is $900. $900. Anybody in this church over 75 years of age used to buy a car for $900. <laughs> Now, you can't even buy a watch for $900, and it's unbelievable. But to most people, that's how they gauge their worth, their value in life, is the amount of stuff that you have. Got news for you. There's one thing about that stuff. You ain't taking none of it with you. But the devil has convinced us, listen, we'd rather, we'd rather tip God's work and donate millions and give away thousands upon thousands upon thousands and yea, millions if not billions of dollars to the things of this world. Tell me you don't get infatuated with movie stars, entertainers, and their multi-million dollar lifestyles. I'm sorry, but I can't get heartbroken over somebody who makes millions of dollars to pretend to be somebody they're not, to complain about their life. Shut up. You poor boo-boo head. Worse than that are these athletes. Athletes making hundreds of millions of dollars. Have you listened to most of them talk? It's like watching a dude with a brain injury trying to have a conversation. And you know why they travel all over America, most of these professional athletes, so they can visit all their kids in the different cities that they have. But we're infatuated with them, and we'll drop 375 bucks on a pair of LeBron tennis shoes and that kind of stuff because we're infatuated. Because you see, that message of the, the, the gospel of materialism has infected us. We're in the Philippines. I was preaching there for Brother Rick Martin. Maybe today, maybe one of the greatest works on this planet that the Lord is using that. It, the, the work on Iloilo Ilo there in the Philippines on a given weekend, 
probably reaches between 60 to 75,000 people. One of the ministries they have is at the dump. You get in a jeepney, which is a big box on the end of a jeep, holds about 12 people, 20 Filipinos, but about 12 Americans, you can jam them in there. And he took us out in the edge of town, and he said, do we have a ministry to the people who live on the dump? And you drive out there, and you can smell it about two miles before you get to it. And the trash is piled two times higher than this ceiling. And there's pathways cut through the trash that go up, up onto the top of the trash heap. And when you get up there, that's where the people live. They take sticks, and they stick them down inside the trash, and they wrap plastic or bags or stuff around those sticks, and they live there. Rats the size of Volkswagens. People go around collecting stuff in the trash that they'll take down to the front of the dump and sell every day to get a few pennies to get enough food to get something to eat. Ah, but wait a minute. We drive up into this dump and we kind of had a hand over our nose. It smelled so bad. You're talking a place of hot, humid climate all the time. Three or four little kids ran up and jumped on the back of that Jeep. They had been down to the front of the dump and they had gotten a little baggie that some, they purchased that had some frozen Kool-Aid in it, like a, like a popsicle, but in, inside this baggie. And they were chewing on those things. And then he said, we'll take you back up there. So we went back up through the trash to go, take, go back up to the top to drop these children off. And Brother Martin was talking to these children. He's asking them how old they were. There's a boy about that tall. He was 12. Sores on his legs. But people look at me with that little baggy popsicle in his hand. Those kids were smiling, laughing, and having a great day. Now we come home, and, and the cable goes out, and our life is over. <laughs> what are we going to do? In February, at, our, at our, our place there in Reading, we don't usually get a lot of snow, but <laughs> we had a 50-year freak snowstorm. We got 18 inches of snow in one storm in less than 12 hours. It knocked the power out. Do you realize everything we have has electricity attached to it. When the power goes out, you just stand in the middle of the room. Uh, why don't you heat up some? Oh, there's no power. You know, you start thinking, well, break up the furniture and make a fire in the middle of the living room. I mean, what? <laughs> Get out the animal skins and back to the caves. Did a T-Rex just run down the street? I mean, our lives, we think about it. It's unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, the, 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 the spirit of materialism infects this world today and people will sell their soul, their life, their future, their children, everything for a few bucks. Look what a religion sports has become in America now. We get kids starting out six, seven years old. They're going to baseball camp, volleyball camp. Nobody goes to soccer camp because it's not a sport. And, you, and, and, and they go to all these different football camp. They go to all these camps and everything else, six, seven, eight years old. Then by the time they're teenagers, these kids have been to summer camps and all kinds of camps. They're playing sports 25, uh, uh, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Well, it's good for them. It keeps them off the street. Last time I checked it, your family's supposed to keep you off the street. Oh, and by the way, and then where's mom and dad on Sunday instead of church? They're out there watching the kid play sports. They're out there watching the girl do something. They're going to ballet classes and all this other kind of junk. Don't tell me that materialism hasn't affected us. We've stopped raising our own children, decided coaching raises our kids. Sports will raise our children and that kind of stuff. Now teach a kid how to throw a ball so he doesn't throw a ball like a girl. Okay, I'm good with that one. But the truth, sorry ladies, but the truth is, forgive me. Don't go Hillary on me now. Be careful. The truth of the matter is, if something's happened to us, we've got the idea that stuff makes life better. How many more people do we have to see with stuff whose life is ended, or they end their life because stuff didn't give them the stuff that they wanted? Yes. See, people look here. You counteract the spirit of Satan's isms in this world with simple biblical, listen, biblical living and biblical thinking. That book will not only change how you live, it'll change the way you think. It'll start in here and it'll come out here. 
you know, get your mind right about stuff that you have to become, the Bible says, content with such things as you have. Never content with such things as you are. You always want to be a better Christian, want to do more for God. But see, and it's old school to tell people, well, you ought to be just as happy with a bologna sandwich as you are with a T-bone steak. And if you, to this day, if you gave me a bologna, and frankly, we made that bologna in that lunch meat factory. Don't eat that either. <laughs> yeah, but it's all chicken. One more time, it's all in that thing right there. Let me tell you. You gave me a bologna sandwich and a T-bone steak right there. I eat them both, frankly. But anyway, the, the truth is, it's all right to improve yourself in life, but if that is your goal, look here. You know how many Christians I know, they're not happy? And they have every reason in the world to be. But they're not because they have been infected and affected by the ism of materialism. They've been infected and affected by secularism. They think they can do what they do without God. We're practical atheists. We don't pray. We don't walk with God. You see what I'm saying? Hey, his, his gospel of the spirit of his missions program is all over this world. Oh, if I just had a. If I was just taller, if I was just shorter, if I was just skinnier, if I was, nobody wants to be fatter, but if I was just, if, if I was just that, if I just had those shoes, if I had that car, if I had this, come on people, we get infected and affected by that stuff and it robs us of the joy and the pleasure of what God has blessed us with. And let me tell you something, bro, you, if you can't be happy with what God has given you, you'll never be happy with what you ain't got. Bad English, but good preaching. So to counteract the spirit of this Missions program of Satan present the truth of the Word of God with clarity, with conviction, and with compassion. Again, we're not going to argue people. Well, you're just a humanist. Most people don't even know what that is. They think it's that Chinese buffet we went to on Sunday. Not Hunam, Human. Most people don't understand that. But you know, there's something, there's something inescapable about a Christian who knows what they believe and why and isn't an idiot about it. Eh? The Hindu man on the airplane that day. I, I, I was kind, but I bore down on him. I wanted him to understand something. I wanted him to understand. We, we're not, we're not oh, we believe the same. And I said, no, sir, we don't believe the same. <laughs> that black lady, that's right, preacher. Mm, we are not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Said, thank you, man. By the way, when he went to the bathroom, I leaned over. I said, ma'am, thank you so much. She goes, I'm on it, preacher. I'm on it right there. I'm got, I got you back. I'm covering with Jesus on this thing. I said, you just cover away, ma'am. You just cover away. We're going to be fine. The truth of the matter is I present, but I, I wasn't mad at the man. I wasn't arguing with him. I began to tell him, sir, you, you must understand. I believe the God of heaven, the God of this book, put me next to you to tell you that your hope of salvation is Jesus Christ. And trusting him alone to save you. These pacifist Hindus, they get real upset when you tell them there's nothing else but Jesus. We were in a place there in India and uh, Pastor Ray, Mike Ray, some of you may know him or not, he's a good friend of mine. Pray, pray for Brother Ray, he's short. He is. He sneezes, he bangs his head on the ground. Did you know that? It's all... <laughs> He can put his shoes on without sitting down. or He can just stand up and put his shoes on. It's embarrassing. I got, I got to leave it alone. Brother Ray and I go at each other quite often, but anyway. Anyway, so we were in India, and he, he's the master soul winner, so he grabs some tracks, and we go down the street to this little shack-looking thing. It was a tall, looked like a grain silo with a corrugated tent on the side of it. We got these tracks, Hindu tracks. We didn't know what they were. So he and I are standing in front of this Hindu, this, this, this uh, silo-looking thing with these Hindu tracks, and we're handing them out to people. I videotaped. I should have brought it, showed it to you. I'm, we're videotaping, and Brother Ray's handing tracks to people. Thank you. Please take this, you know. And finally, this really tall Indian man walks up and goes, who, who are you? Who said you could come here? Who said you could do this? He didn't mess with me. He was messing with Brother Ray. And I'm watching this, and finally I put my tracks in my back pocket and go, I'm going to record the kill here, watch this. <laughs> and this guy's bearing down on him. Oh, you, who said, you? and then all of a sudden the crowd gathers. Well, the pastor we were with said in that village, preachers had gotten beat up from handing out tracks and stuff. 
Brother Ray's trying to be, well, we're here from America to tell you that God loves you, and we wanted to give you these tracts so you could read that when you have a chance. Who said you could do that? Did you get an authority? Did you get a license to do this? Who said you could do this? And Brother Ray's going, uh-oh. He goes, what do you think, Brother Johnson? I said, tell him you don't understand. Let's walk off from here. And we turn around, we start walking off, you know. And I had a brand new video camera, and I thought, 25 Hindu guys, and I got Billy Barty. Me and the midget, these dudes are going to jump on me, and I'm going to get my camera all tore up. Then I thought, no, I just got to outrun him. <laughs> and if I trip him and he falls down, I'll make it. And while they're killing him, I'll go call his wife and say, too bad, Vernon, he got killed in India. <laughs> we get back to the house where the pastor was, and we told him what we did. He goes, do you know what that is down there, that building? I said, no. He goes, it's a Hindu temple. He said, do you know what these tracks say? He goes, no. He goes, death is coming. You're standing in front of a Hindu temple, handing out tracks that say death is coming in a village where people get beat up for doing this kind of stuff. I said, thanks a lot, Ray. You almost got us killed in India, if we're going to say. But, you know, you, 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 you counteract a wrong spirit with the right one. Now, look here, people. You go to work, and you got to look on your face like, a, like you're going to bite the lips off a bulldog. Probably not a lot of folks are too interested in your Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Some people, they, 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 look, they look like they got baptized in grapefruit juice. You, you really need to get that, that spirit part working along with the clarity of it all. And if there's nothing else left to say, then just be very clear about what the Bible says, not what you think, what the Bible says. Use the word of God. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. That book's a powerful book. It's the most powerful book on this planet. It humbles souls, it awakens sinners, it enlightens the eyes of people who are in darkness. It's amazing what that book can do. The spirit. Then one more thing is the gospel, verse 4. Satan's program is to declare another gospel. Now, that means good news. You say, well, Satan has good news. Oh, yes, he does. He has the good news of the false gospel. Easy believism. One, two, three, repeat after me. That never saved a soul, never has, never will. Oh, by the way, in case you think I'm a fruit inspector and we're supposed to take people through... We were in Russia, and they were telling us over there, some of the American missionaries had been there a while. They said, you can't just tell these Russians about salvation. You have to take them to Genesis and go through the whole book of Genesis and explain creation and all this kind of stuff. I mean, because they don't know anything. I sat there and I thought, mm -hmm. Jesus told them to go out and preach the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. I don't remember Genesis was in there. So we're, we're standing on the street corner, a bunch of us, we've been handing out tracts there in Belarus, and, and this young lady stopped, and she heard us speak in English, college-age young lady. She heard us speak in English, and she said, are, are, are you from America? I said, well, yes, we are. And she said, could I practice English on you? She said, practice away. So we're talking back and forth and thinking. I said, now, can I ask you a question, young lady? Could I, could I show you how you could know for sure you have eternal life? She said, yes, I would like to know that. So I went to the plan of salvation. Just... You're a sinner. There's a penalty for sin. Jesus paid the penalty. You must trust payment of Christ alone and ask him to save you and get saved. Now, would you like to trust Christ? She goes, yes, I would. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I didn't put Genesis in there. So I said, well, let, let, let me go over it one more time. Make sure you understand it. So I went to the plan of salvation all over again. I said, now, would you like to trust Christ? She said, yes, I would. And I thought, <clears throat> I didn't get the flood in there. What about the ark? Cain and Abel. I mean, I missed the whole punch in Genesis. Let me give it to you one more time, okay? And I went through it one more time with her. And I said, now, after explaining the gospel to her again, very simply, I said, now, would you like to trust Christ? And she looks at me and she said, I said, yes. And the Holy Spirit said, stupid. The woman wants to get saved. Get on with it. She bowed her head and trusted Christ. And I thought, skip the Genesis, go to the gospel. Just tell them what the gospel is. Yeah, a person can never know anything about anything about anybody. In fact, the truth is, the less they know, the better. There's power, in the, the power is the, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That gospel's powerful because it comes from a powerful book. 
But easy believism isn't going to work. Well, let's just pray and ask Jesus to save us. No, praying and asking Jesus to save you doesn't save you. Realizing you're a sinner, admitting that sin and repentance of faith, turn to Christ, trust him alone for salvation, then ask him to save you and you'll get saved. No question. He's got another gospel out there. He's got the gospel of let's all just believe. If you believe in Jesus, the devils believe and tremble. That's another gospel. Easy believers. False gospel. <laughs> the religions of works. Telling people there's something you must do. That, that covers every kind of religion you can shake a stick out. Christian or non-Christian religions. You can always tell a false religion when they start to tell you there's something you have to do in order to have eternal life, forgiveness, and salvation. That's a false religion. Now, I don't care who it is, whether it's Baptist or anybody else. You put works to it, friend, that's not salvation. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was soul winning there in our area, in our city, and a man was out in his yard doing some yard work. He had a little short cyclone fence, and I walked by, and I hated to bother people working and stuff. But I said, sir, and he stopped. He goes, what can I do for you? And I said, just want to leave you this track and invite you to come to our church sometime. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, you'd be more than welcome anytime. I said, I don't mean to bother you. You're working and stuff, but just leave that. He goes, well, hey, just a minute. And, and he starts asking me some questions. So finally, I said, well, look, rather than do all that, how about if I just take a minute and explain salvation to you according to what the Bible says? He goes, sure. So I went to the plan of salvation, explained it very simply to him. And I'm thinking, this band's going to get saved right here by this fence. And I said, now, sir. Realizing that salvation is not by any kind of works. Your church, my church, anybody's church. Trusting only Jesus Christ's payment and his payment alone for salvation. Are you right now willing to trust Christ as your Savior? And he stood and he listened so politely and then he looked at me and he goes, no. And he turned around and walked off. I stood there shocked. I thought, what, what happened? You know what happened? He chose his religion over Christ and salvation. And the point of it is this, ladies and gentlemen, if we present the gospel clearly enough so people understand it, they'll understand the difference between what they're hearing, what they're believing, and what the Bible tells them. Now, I would love to tell you most people would get saved. Many do. But I can tell you this. Some people have. I've had people get mad at me. I've had people get, cuss me. I've had people say awful things to me. Tell me you can't tell me that. That's not right. Who do you think you are? One guy goes, you think you, you know you have eternal life? I said, yes, sir, I do. He goes, that's arrogant. I said, no, sir, I'm not being arrogant. I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve to have a home in heaven. I'm not worthy of it one bit. I just know according to what the Bible says that I have salvation. And I'd love for you to know that, sir. Don't you understand? He goes, absolutely. Absolutely not. I've seen him accept it very simply. I've seen him turn it down very coldly. But see, Satan's gospel is, yeah, that's close enough. That's, that's close enough. You know, you believe in Jesus. Ah, that's what it's all about. The false gospel. The secular gospel is anything but God. Self-help. You can improve your life. You can make yourself better. You can change your living, but you can't change you. Only God can change you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Satan's program is to present another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. The answer is simple. Present the Jesus of the Bible. Present it with the right spirit. Clarity, conviction, compassion. And tell them how simple the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And you must trust that payment for your salvation and no one or nothing else. And now, sir, would you be willing to trust Christ? We got some soul winning stuff going on, so-called soul winning, going out there. They give a very clear presentation of the gospel and they never invite the person to be saved. This Hollywood stuff, you know, these so-called Christian movies. That's like straight, a straight homosexual. These Christian movies where they give the gospel, but they never invite a person to trust Christ now and get saved. Excuse me. Jesus called everybody publicly. And the truth of the matter is you don't go fishing without drawing the net. And the truth is you must invite a person to trust Christ for now's the accepted time. Behold, now's the day of salvation. Amen. You see, he doesn't mind. The devil doesn't mind if you get close. Just don't cross. Yeah. If you get close, don't go over the line. 
You get close, but don't take it too far. You get close, but don't go out and tell somebody about Christ. You get close, but think somehow or another your lifestyle evangelism is going to win people to Jesus Christ. Our lifestyle is essential to giving people the gospel, but nobody's going to get saved because they see you carrying a Bible and going to church. you got to tell them about salvation. How shall they hear without a preacher? Someone's got to declare this thing. Someone's got to be careful about it. Someone's got to tell it. So now let me say this and finish this tonight. Dear people, do you understand that this missions revival your church is having, this is essential to the lifeblood and the future of this church. It's not just another meeting. This is, listen to me, this is going to determine where Victory Baptist Church in this city is going to be in the next year, 5, 10, 15, or 20 years. Because if we ever get to the place where we just settle back, set back, sit back, and relax on this thing, Satan's program doesn't take a day off. So our supporting missions, our being involved in missionary endeavor and work, it's essential. That's how you counteract it. You present the real Jesus from the Bible. You present it with the right spirit that God has given us. You present the gospel loud and clear and simple so people will know what salvation is. And that's how you defeat error. You defeat it with truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's stand our feet, please, tonight. Say, well, if I don't do it, Pastor Johnson, somebody else will. Yeah, the devil will. You do know tonight, church, you know that there are people you could reach this preacher will never get to talk to. You know that. There are people you could talk to, you could talk, you could reach. He'll never get to see. We had a man as a vice president of the bank came to our church and he... Uh, he wanted to join our church. He said, before I do, though, you talk about this witnessing and soul winning stuff. He goes, now, I'm a vice president of a bank. He goes, I can't really do that where I work. So I put my Bible on my desk, and that way people know that I'm a Christian. I said, well, I appreciate the testimony. That's good. I said, what about people who don't go to your bank? And what about folks who don't open your Bible and read it? He said, well, that's just not my calling. It's not what I do. I said, Sir, soul winning is for every Christian. That's something we're all supposed to be involved in. Where we are, where we live, around us, and yes, the four corners of this earth. But you know something, dear folks? I would hope that each and every one of us would realize if we won't go or we won't sin, Satan already has, and he always will. We crossed that creek in Africa pulled up the other side, and there was a kid standing there with a water jug coming from a creek, that creek, to get some water, and he had a, had a shack T-shirt on. Out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. And I thought, he's out here, not shack. The devil's out here. He got these people out here. The Maasai had their little mud huts. They're huge. They're tall people. They work among the lions taking care of their animals. And the Maasai have these little mud huts that they make up to sleep in, and they keep moving their animals to feeding places. There were satellite dishes on the mud huts. And I'm looking around for power lines. How are they powering this thing? I don't care where you go in the world. His program's there. Oh, yeah, he is everywhere. Ah, good news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And our responsibility is to take that and understand it and live by it.